But you totally willing to leave weapons on the table that your enemy is fighting to keep you from using anyway. For real talk. Being a contrarian for contrary's sake is whack. But the assault on reality has been so thorough, even niggas we used to routinely ignore have somehow found an audience. All the time. I'm not above it all, and I won't pretend to be. America provides you all the freedom in the world to be a dummy. You just don't get to be loud and dumb around me. Welcome to the Span Report with your host, Mr. Span. Welcome to the Spin Report Podcast. I'm your host, Mr. Span. This is episode number 352 of the report. And uh, yeah, we get in right to the shit. I ain't have any cold opens this week. <laughs> so we get we get right to the shit, man. And uh, yo, it's been, a, it's been a week since the last time I talked to y'all. I know I said uh, previously that we are still thinking about making this a uh, a twice monthly podcast as opposed to a weekly podcast that may start in 2021. But I mean, you know. Your man Spin has some things he wanted to talk about this week, so we're going to talk about them this week. But, of course, before we do any of that, i got to remind you guys how to get in touch with us over here at the Spin Report Podcast and let your voice be heard, man. You can go ahead and hit us up at our hotline at area code 313-288-0485. That's area code 313-288-0485. Go ahead and leave us those voicemail messages. Those messages will get played here live on the show and responded to in kind. You can also email us here at feedback at thespareport.com. That's feedback at thespareport.com. Go ahead and leave us those emails, and of course, those emails we get read here and reply to here live on the show as well. Uh, follow me on Twitter and Instagram. My name on all of those platforms is Mr. Underscore Spam. So go ahead and follow me there. Chop it up with your man Spam throughout the week. Also, leave us a five star review on iTunes and or Stitcher Radio. Those five star reviews are the way is one way for you to put down for the show. Let everybody know why you rock with us over here at the Spam Report Podcast, man. It doesn't cost you a dime, just a couple minutes of time to let everybody know why you rock with us like that, right? So leave us a five star review on iTunes and or Stitcher Radio. We really appreciate everybody who does that, right? Also, go to our website, www.thespamreport.com. You can go there. You can watch replays of the show. You can vote in the polls when we decide to put those polls up. You can donate to the show as often as you like, as much as you like. And of course, we really do appreciate every dime over here at the spare report podcast network you can also go there to become a patreon patron and become a part of the golden circle of the spare report podcast man the golden circle are the people who allow for us to do this show here live on youtube facebook twitch and twitter man so we really appreciate everybody who contributes in that way it allows for us to bring this show to you in multiple different ways man so shout out to the golden circle of the spare Poor podcast network also you can go there copy yourself some merch out of our store man i think things right now we got a 30 percent off sale on all merchandise at the spare Poor podcast network store so get yourself some merch man get yourself a coffee mug get yourself a t-shirt get yourself a hoodie it's cold outside baby go ahead and get yourself some warmth Get you some warmth in your life and bring it to yourself with, like, you know, the Spare Report Podcast Network flavor. So we really appreciate everybody who does that as well. And it's another way to put down for the show and let everybody know why you rock with us over here at the Spare Report Podcast Network, man. Real talk. But, uh, yeah, man, now we got that business out of the way. We got that out of the way. Um, so here's the thing, man. Um, I've been working a lot. 
<laughs> I've been working a lot. It's one of the reasons why I've been like trying to figure out a way to try to like kind of keep the work life balance and you know the podcast thing. Try to balance a lot of these things because I got a lot of obligations and shit, you know. And so um, this past week, man, not gonna lie to you, man, it's been it's been rough on your boy. It's been rough on your boy. I I spent a lot of time at work this week. So much so that man spent logged at least seventy hours at the job this week. You know, more like God damn, because that's how I felt. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> that's how I felt, man. You know how weird it is, like leaving the house at like seven in the morning and not coming back to like damn near midnight. Like that's depressing, especially like in um, like in like you know in, in like the winter months and shit when like it gets dark early. You know what I'm saying? So, like, you spent all day. I mean, like, all day. Like, you left the house, it was dark, nigga. You came back home, and it was dark, nigga. It's 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 a lot, man. It's a lot. And then on top of that, it's getting cold outside. So, like, you know, the type of work that I do, you know, folks are like, hey, like, hey man, when you gonna turn my gas back on, man? It's cold out here. Shit, I need, I need to cook for my kids, nigga. You told me it was gonna be a few hours. I didn't know it was gonna be this long, you know? So, yeah, man. And then on top of that, you got the people, like, we're, we're in an area where... You know, folks don't speak a lot of English. You know what I'm saying? So now they're cussing you out in Spanish and shit. I mean, your man Span didn't exactly take his Spanish seriously when he was in high school, bro. So I got to pull out, the, like, the Google Translate in order to understand what the fuck these niggas are saying to me. You know what I'm saying? Like they, they cussing me out and I don't even know it. So, yeah, man, it's been... um. It's been, like, it's been a... You know, it's been some times, man, at the job, man. We get a lot of work done. Um, It's, like, the end of the year push and shit. Because they know a nigga's going to be on vacation for, like, you know, that time in between Christmas and New Year's. And I'm looking forward to having at least 11 days away from that place, man, where I'm just like, you know what, man? I can I can do some things around my house that I've been wanting to do. I can get my house, like, like in the same, like in the order that I wanted in. Man, there's some things I just want to do around the crib, bro. But you don't have time to do that when you at work fucking 15 and 16 hours a day trying to take care of business and shit. As a matter of fact, matter of fact, you know, while I'm talking about, like, some shit that just kind of happened to me at work and stuff... Let me talk to y'all while I was like, so this happened Friday, right? So this happened Friday. I'm at work and my wife texts me, right? And I'm like, you know, doing my thing and shit. And my wife texts me. She says, babe, like there's some people like parked in our driveway and they like looking through our trash and shit. So instantly your man Spam pulls the phone out and I'm like, all right, let me see what the fuck's going on. And I'll be goddamn if there wasn't a car in my driveway and it was like some random white folks like just like kind of, you know, milling about and shit. Right now, initially, I didn't see these motherfuckers go through my drive, you know, like go through my trash and shit. But I was already annoyed at the idea of these motherfuckers having the caucasity to park in my goddamn driveway. Now, here's the thing, man. Here's the thing. I know like 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 black people, black people, you know, my family, family. Come on now. I know I'm not the only one who gets slightly annoyed when someone who I don't know, like, kind of parks in front of my house and shit, right? Like, you know, like, nigga, who who, who you want? Where you from? Like, where you, where you going to? You know what I'm saying? Like, why are you in front of my house? Why aren't you in front of the house of the motherfuckers you came to see? You know what I'm saying? I be on my, I be on like, with my windows and shit, like Malcolm X and shit with the piece. Like, man, like, I hope it ain't no bullshit going on, right? But I'm at work, so I can't do nothing. I can't do nothing really. So I'm like, I'm looking at this shit and I'm like, these motherfuckers really are in my driveway. They like really in my motherfucking driveway, like post it. Right. So what I, what I kind of deduced was this, right. The house next door to me 
was for sale and someone eventually bought this house that's next door to mine and i'm assuming based upon some of the footage that i was able to kind of like watch afterwards that they were working on this house and like there was a truck parked in front of their driveway so they couldn't get in their driveway but they still just thought that they could just park in my shit i'm still annoyed at the fact that they thought they could park in my shit right and so um i'm at work i'm ready to leave work as a matter of fact like i don't i don't take too kindly to that kind of shit (laughs) i don't know maybe it's the south side in me south side chicago maybe it's the west side detroit in me i don't know all i know is nobody that doesn't live at your crib should be parking in your motherfucking driveway that's just how i feel about it right i'm ready to leave work one of my co-workers like yo man go home then shit go home and i'm like nah man i can't i can't i can't really do that man because i know we got a lot of work to do at here out here right so one of my older co-workers was like, hey, Spam, man, just call the police. Now, uh, y'all know I'm not, like, the biggest fan of the cops, right? You know, if you listen to this show for any length of time, man, like, the only time I think the police have ever, like, really done anything for me might have been... Uh, can't really think of anything the police has ever done for me, but... <laughs> I mean, because most of the time, police are usually just imposing their will upon your boy. But, uh, no, so he was like, yo, man, just call the non-emergency number, and uh, they might send somebody to your crib. So I called the non-emergency number, and, you know, I gave them my best professional voice, like, hello, um, my name is Mr. Spann, and I live at 111, you know, Adams Street, and uh, I'm at work, and my, my, my camera is alerting me to uh, the fact that there's someone parked in my driveway, they're uh, they're going through my trash and things. I, I really don't know what's going on. It would be nice if you guys could send a car over there, just kind of talk to those folks and get them to get you know move their cars out of my driveway. That'd be great. And uh, they did that shit. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Two cars, in fact, they sent two cars to my house to get these motherfuckers to move their cars out of my driveway. Now, um, afterwards, I felt a little iffy about that though, like calling the cops on you know on these people, right? But at the same time, it was like, what was I going to do? I'm at work. There's only so much I can do. And I'm just like, yo, man, like, get your shit out. I'm still annoyed at the fact that they just thought that they could just park their shit on my property, bro. Like, that's mine. Move your shit. I don't know. Maybe I'm tripping. Maybe I'm not. You know, let a nigga know, man. Like, how do y'all feel about the fact that I called the police on these motherfuckers that was <laughs> that was in my driveway, man? Hit me up in, in the feedback. Let me know how y'all feel about that. They didn't move their shit, though, but... um. Yeah, the looking in my trash can shit, I thought that was a bit much. I'm like, man, what the fuck are y'all doing out there? But I was at work. It was only it was only a couple ways a nigga could handle that shit while I'm not at the house. You know what I'm saying? But um, that's what happened, man. Some white folks was in my driveway and like just posted and looking through my trash. And I called the police on them and uh, the police moved them. So that's what's happening in, in your man Span's life lately. I become what I despise. Yeah, <laughs> but that's going on. Um but I did have a random thought, man. I did have a random thought. One of my random thoughts this week, man, was because uh, y'all niggas like stop coming to social media looking for advice or better yet, looking for medical advice from social media. Well, that'll be a monkey's bare ass uncle. I mean, I really need y'all to stop coming to social media looking for like medical advice. I mean, I mean, because real talk, these niggas ain't got nothing for you. They don't, man. These niggas don't have nothing for you. The only thing niggas have on social media for you when it comes to you asking medical advice is memes and vibes. That's all they got, bro. Like, nah, man, you know, shit. 
you know, I, I, I'm just saying, man, I, I got this new, I got this meme I can, like, slide your way, man, because they was talking about, you know, like, you're going to have to take these booster shots forever, nigga. Like, I don't, I don't know, do you really want to take boosters forever, nigga? Like, you know, you got that shit, and it was like, man, you know, I'm just like, you know, I'm just going with the flow, man, you know, so, like, Kobe catch a nigga, man, Kobe catch a nigga, man. I'm going to need y'all to just, like, kind of, just kind of stop coming to social media with the shit. Listen to your doctors, man. Listen to the medical professionals, and, uh, Make the best decision for yourself medically with the advice from somebody who actually knows what the fuck they're talking about, right? But, yo, man, that's been, like, my random thoughts on what the fuck has been going on with your man Spam. It's time to get us into the news, y'all. Ah, shit. I'm moving too fast, man. I'm moving too fast. Not news time yet. We got some listener feedback here at the Spam Report Podcast, man. We got some listener feedback. I almost forgot, man. Jesus Christ, man. Um... All right, so we got an email here. Our email comes from our homeboy, Reggie. Reggie writes in to say, hey, Span, missed you on your break, dude. Uh, I hope it was restful. It was. <laughs> it was. And I also hope that you and your family are doing well. I had something I was thinking about concerning critical race theory, and I'd love to know your take on it. Okay. Uh, much has been made about the efforts to rid, rid it from schools. And I know you and plenty of other pundits have stated that it's not really being taught in the schools, but do you think there is something to be said about children learning about the perils of race and racism too early and are progressives making it harder on themselves by simply dismissing the concerns of parents who don't necessarily have a problem with their children learning the real history of America is just that the education should be age appropriate. Uh, again, it's just something that I was thinking about, but I'd love to hear your thoughts. Thanks for the show, man. And it's good to hear you back on the mic. Well, I appreciate you writing in Reggie. Um, so yeah, here's the thing. And I know like you, you've listened to the show, you know what I'm saying? You're a long time listener at this point. Um, we know that the whole, uh, like the, we know that the whole thing about critical race theory is bullshit because of the Christopher Rufo. And like him coming out, who was the person who even like tried to make this a thing? Like he went on social media and admitted as such that he's basically trying to wrap everything that has something to do with any like sort of race discussion or uh, racist history, trying to wrap all of that shit into the moniker of critical race theory. And so what you have is you've got a bunch of people who have no who have absolutely no fucking clue what critical race theory is lumping ideas and lumping things into critical race theory that have absolutely nothing to do with critical race theory right and so you got states you've got uh legislators you got the governor or the now governor elect in the state of Virginia who pretty much ran on this idea that uh critical race theory was coming to invade the schools in the in the state of Virginia right um but honestly, I think it's bigger than just the critical race theory thing. I think this is a multi-pronged effort. Um, off top, I just kind of believe that, especially the way that conservatives kind of move and the way that conservatives and Republicans and the, its current form, the Republican Party in its current form, I think they kind of benefit from the fact that most Americans aren't paying attention to shit. They're just not. Most Americans are worrying about how they're going, you know, pay bills, how they're going to put food on their table, how they're going to like just kind of get through their day to day. 
And so some of these ideas, some of these theories, some of these policies, some of these uh, 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 the debates are something that they're just not paying attention to because their mind is somewhere else. Right. And I believe that Republicans like really, really, really do bank on that. They bank on the fact that the public is not necessarily knowledgeable about these particular topics. And so they're easily manipulable, you know, like they, they can be easily manipulated into thinking one way or into, uh, into believing that this is something that is an existential threat to them. Right. And so, um, you combine the fact that like, you've got a, you know, an education or a populace that is, you know, by and large, not paying attention. You have also an edu- a, a populace that is probably, you know, I, I don't know exactly the, like the level of education that the average American has. However, um, if I'm talking about the average conservative voter, I believe this is just my belief. I don't know how I don't have anything to back this up. So, you know, this is just what your man span believes. But I believe that most of them have nothing beyond a high school diploma. There's nothing wrong with that. But after, you know, you got a lot of people who like after high school, they're like, man, fuck it. I'm sick of school. They don't they don't they don't want anything else to do with school. And so some of these discussions like are honestly going over their fucking heads. And so they're easily manipulable uh, um, or easily uh, manipulable. That's not even a word span, but easily manipulated into some of these uh, these thoughts, some of these ideas. Um, Honestly, though. It's rooted in fear. What a lot of this shit is, is rooted in fear. Uh, You got a white populace in America who is scared to fucking death. They are scared that they are going to become a racial minority in America. I believe it's projected to be like 2040, 2050 or something like that. So they're, 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 they're scared for that. They're scared that especially because of the treatment that minorities have had to deal with in America, largely at the hands of white folk that, um, once they become a minority, then those tables are going to turn and that treatment is then going to be meted out upon them. Right. And so I believe that in this fight against critical race theory, although critical race theory isn't being taught in the schools, I believe that um, because they're so scared of what they believe is the like uh, that 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 bill coming to be paid. You know what I'm saying? Like they believe that the tables are going to turn and that the minorities are going to become the majority and they're going to like, you know, do everything to white folks that white folks have done to them. Um, I believe they're they're deathly afraid of that, right? And it also it, it it's not even so much just the education. That's why I said it's a multi pronged effort. It's like in the abortion laws that we've seen coming across with, uh, like say for instance Texas and shit. Like they are <laughs> one of the reasons why they so desperately want to ban abortion is because white women aren't having as many babies as they used to. And so if they can force white women, if they could force white women to produce or have more children, then that could also help them in the numbers. Right. There's also the idea that, um, you know, if our children are forced to learn the actual history of this nation and not the mythos that a lot of kids learn in the schools about this nation, then suddenly 
everything that we brought our children up to believe about America, they're going to realize we've been telling them some bullshit and maybe they turn on us. And maybe the America that we knew, because they always talk about the, you know, we want our country back and everything else. The America we knew is no more because even our children are saying like, yeah, we was kind of fucked up. We should probably be a part of the solution. They don't want their kids to know the actual fucking history here. Right. It's why you have the abortion laws that you have is why you have the, uh, the, the 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 ways in which they're trying to change the voting rights. In America, like white people are on, like they're trying to keep a death grip on their control of this nation. And they're using every lever of power, every tactic at their disposal to try to keep that grip on this. This is why, you know, like the voting rights are being, you know, are this is why they are so adamant about voting rights being limited. This is why they're so adamant about abortion rights being limited. This is why they're so like uh, conservative about uh, you know, what is taught historically about America this is why they're so big on keeping these monuments to these Confederates who were largely traitors to this nation, but keeping monuments as though like these monuments to these traitors to this nation means that uh, this nation used to mean something to them for their people and everything else. But they always talk about this heritage and not hate shit. Right. But ultimately, I believe it's like a lot of this stuff is driven by fear. White folks are scared, bro. They are scared that they are about to become a, a racial minority and they believe that the nation is going to do to them what they've been doing to the minorities of this nation, man. And so you've got that. Now, the other part of your question was, is is it too early for their kids to learn this shit, right? And to that, I'll just say this. Many kids of color, black kids, you know, Hispanic kids, you know, brown kids, uh, Asian kids, they learn that they're different very early, right? They learn that they're, very, they're different very early. Many of them have had uh, 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 instances of racism happen to them before they even can understand what the fuck is going on, right? If our children, if we can be subject to the racism and the discrimination that is happening upon us at, at, at five and six and seven, the damn it, their children aren't too precious to learn about the racism that happened to black and brown and in and, and, and Asian kids at five, six, and seven. Like at a certain point, man, like it's always about the feelings of these kids, right? But it's always just the feelings of the white kids. Never so much about the feelings and the the experiences of the children that are minorities here. So again, it this all goes back to, I believe, white fear that they are losing this country and they're going to become a racial minority and everything that you see going on right now, when it comes to the abortion rights, when it comes to voting rights, when it comes to education, they are trying to lock down their level of uh, control over this nation because they know they're scheduled to become a racial minority here in America come, I believe 2050 or some shit like that. So that's how I feel about it. Those are my thoughts on it. And I appreciate you writing in Reggie, And I hope to hear again, I hear from you again soon, brother. Real talk. But now that we got the listener feedback out of the way, it's time for us to get into the news. All right, all right, 
our first story here in the news has to do with one Jesse Smollett, man. And that'll be a monkey's bare-assed uncle. Yeah, man, Jesse Smollett is in the news this week. And the reason why Jesse Smollett is in the news has to do with the fact that he was uh, found guilty and convicted of five out of six charges against him in the hoax, that the now proven hoax of uh, a hate crime perpetrated against him. Right, we've got video here. We get this uh, this news from NBC, so let's go ahead and check this out real quick. Let me unmute that. Jury has reached a verdict, and it is, at least for most of the counts, guilty for Smollett. Let me remind you of what had happened here. The jury begun deliberating last night and between yesterday and today for something like nine-plus hours, nine-and-a-half hours on our count. Uh, over the course of the trial, they heard from nearly a dozen witnesses, including two brothers, who say Smollett paid them to stage the whole thing. That was the crux of the prosecutor's case here, right? The prosecutors were saying, listen— this guy's credibility, in so many words, Justice Smollett's credibility is shot. The defense was arguing this was not the case. Smollett denied that this alleged attack against him was a hoax. Remember, this was in 2019, this allegedly racist and homophobic attack. Uh, and we now know that as Smollett has faced six counts of disorderly conduct for making what prosecutors say was a false police report about this attack, he has been found guilty on five of the six counts. Five of the six counts guilty. Uh, so this is some interesting news that's coming into us just now into our NBC newsroom. I want to bring in here NBC News legal analyst Danny Savalos, NBC News legal analyst and former federal prosecutor Cynthia Oxney, and Joseph Tully. He's a criminal defense attorney. Uh, Danny, let me start with you here. Okay, so first things first. Don't really need the, <laughs> the like the legal like expertise like the we don't really need all of the like uh, the, the panel discussion there, right? However, um, Jesse Smollett found guilty on five or six counts here. Now, um, I'll go out here on. I'm just going to go out here and say it. Uh, Jesse Smollett, hedge, hedge man span. Yeah, my man. He had me fooled, man. <laughs> Got he. <laughs> Got he. <laughs> yeah, I remember when this story first came out. Um, I remember. Uh, some of the vitriol that was being aimed at Justice Smollett when this video, when, when this, these allegations first came to light. Um, and at the time, at the time, there was a bunch of folks who are known homophobes, <laughs> right? A bunch of known homophobes. Like, even amongst you know, some of my, you know, my friend group and people that I've known for years, um, known homophobes by and large who were, you know, calling into question what Justice Smollett was saying, like just totally dismissing what he was saying offhand. And my thing was, let's not be so quick to dismiss what's going on here, right? Because we would be upset if this were simply a racial thing. We would be upset if society at large is like and, we, and we've seen it we like if society at large was just like on some like yeah that th those niggers are lying and not you know taking our charges seriously or not taking our allegations seriously after something has happened to us we've seen it happen time and again and um so to me it was just like hey man it sounds to me like yo some fucked up shit maybe happened to this guy um is it, it just seems like real wild that we just so willing to just flat dismiss 
what he had to say, right? Or what was going on with him. And, like, I was adamant that we should probably listen to what this dude was saying. Like, we should be, we should be more, um, we should be more open to listening to what he said happened to him. And, yo, I was wrong. I was wrong. This is one of the stories that, like, and it's weird, too, right? Because um, there were people, like, in my mentions and shit. Like, these are people that I don't even fucking know, like, on Twitter and shit. Like, that I didn't even know I had, like, interactions with. Some random-ass dude from Detroit was like, yo, man, so where you at with this shit now, Span? I'm like, nigga, what? (laughs) Right? Because, like, they were taking, like, they would take a celebratory lapse around the fact that, like, yo, Jussie Smollett, was proven to have been lying about this this entire thing, right? And it's, I know it's a very rare thing for motherfuckers to admit that they was wrong. I was wrong about this. I've said it on Twitter. I've said it on the podcast. I was wrong about this. I believed Jesse Smollett. I believed that something possibly happened to him. I didn't think that like he would go to, to those lengths to create a scenario where, you know, uh, all of this supposedly or allegedly happened, right? Like, like, why would anybody do that? What did he gain by doing that? Those are the questions that I was asking in. Like, what does he gain by lying about this sort of shit, right? And, you know, it was weird because, like, I remember, like, the last time I remember, like, a, a racially charged, like, hoax like this sort of happening had to deal with this lady. I, I don't know her name. I can't recall her name at this moment. But there was this lady, this is around the time, and I want to say around 2008, when Barack Obama was running for president uh, the first time, for his first term. And there was this white lady who said that some black dudes had attacked her and carved the letter B backwards in her face. And it was to, it was in an effort to uh, support Barack Obama. And I remember when that happened, people was like, why would anybody like attack a white woman on behalf of Obama? Like why would some random ass white lady, why would they, why would they do that? And you know, black people were up in arms about the shit. It came out that it was some phony shit like that. Um, it came out that it was phony and she was, you know, she got made fun of by the black community because of why she did this. Right. But the interesting thing about this is that the people who are most happy about the fact that Jesse Smollett was proven to be lying about this were the homophobes from the beginning. Were the very fucking homophobes from the very beginning who were like, nah, man, he also, he lying, man. This ain't like, because honestly, like, <laughs> like as much as like, I, it, it pains me to like admit that I was wrong. At the same time, the homophobes are out here like dancing in the streets like they got them one. Right. Like he was lying. He was lying. Like, okay, so but does it like does it mean that homophobic attacks doesn't happen? You know what I mean? Like, does that mean that that doesn't happen? And so, yeah, you hate for someone to come out with some bullshit story because it makes it harder for those who actually do have to go through shit to come out with this story and be believed because, you know, you got this shit going on. But the other thing is this. Right. So you had a whole bunch of black folks who were like, you know, well, the black homophobes, right? The homophobes who were celebrating the fact that Jesse Smollett had been found guilty about this, right? The other part that gets lost in the sauce is there were a whole bunch of white people, white Trump supporters, who were also celebrating the fact that Jesse Smollett was not only found guilty, 
but they use Justice Smollett in order to just de- de- like decredit and like just discredit any allegation of racism happening wherever, right? So anytime something somebody said something that was racist or whatever, the first thing white folks went to was, well, what about Jesse Smollett? As if like Jesse Smollett was the only motherfucking example of racism happening in America or a racist attack happening in America. They used Jesse Smollett in a way to just de fucking like just delegitimize any level or any credit or, or any charge of racism against anybody black. And that's what like is really fucked up about what Justice Smollett did, right? Now, again, I can admit I was wrong. I believe this nigga when he said that this shit happened to him, but also it isn't it isn't lost on me that a lot of the people who are celebrating the fact that Jesse Smollett was convicted are the racist white Trump supporters and some black homophobes, man. These are the people, they found common ground in this way. They found common ground in this way. And so, yeah, um, this dude has been convicted of five out of six uh, charges against him. Chances of him going to jail are probably nil. He'll probably have to do some... uh, some level of like community service or whatever, uh, probably pay a large fine or whatever. But I don't think this guy's gonna go to jail, and um, he probably he probably shouldn't. I mean, like the embarrassment about this should be jail enough for this motherfucker. Um, but yeah, man, that's in the news, man. That's in the news. Now another story that we have here in the news has to deal with the the Oxford shooting. We got an update on the Oxford shooting. Now, uh, of of course, you guys know. Um, that there was a, uh, a shooting, a school shooting here in Oxford, Michigan. A lot of, let me reiterate that Oxford, Michigan is 40 miles away from Detroit. It ain't even close. It ain't even the suburb of Detroit. It ain't even the suburb of a suburb of Detroit. And they tried to link it to Detroit when, they, when, when this shit went to national news. But um, apparently there are new federal charges that are being that are possibly uh, going to be meted out against the parents of the Oxford shooter. I think his name is Ethan Crumley. Um and there are new possible charges going to be meted out against his uh, his parents. So let me pull this video up so you guys can watch right along with me here. Let me let me actually stop sharing that one, and let me pull this one up so you guys can see this here. Hold on, just a second while I pull that up. Um, all right, here we. All right, here we go. Let's see what they're talking about here, y'all. Okay, Paula, we appreciate it. Our other top story tonight as we approach one week since the tragedy in Oxford, the investigation into what happened continues to evolve. So here's where things stand as we come to the five o'clock hour on this Monday. Parents James and Jennifer Crumbley are in the Oakland County lockup following their arrest in Detroit early Saturday morning. The suspect in the case, Ethan Crumbley, is there as well, but all three not allowed to have any contact with each other. Also today, the suspected shooter has been appointed an attorney by the court while his parents have hired their own lawyers. Well, goddamn, man, like they get they <laughs> they, they gonna leave that boy out to dry, boy. They left that little nigga out to dry. His parents ain't shit, bro. Like they they bought this little nigga a gun. He shoots up the school. Them motherfuckers tried to leave the state. They went on a run. They went out and got their own lawyer. His parents ain't shit, bro. 
All that comes as the artist accused of sheltering the Crumblies is set to meet with investigators. Now, this is all happening amid the possibility new charges could be coming in the case still. For that part of the story, we want to bring in defender Sean Lay. And Sean, this is all surrounding the purchase of that gun. Ah. Correct. We're talking about potential additional charges to the parents of Ethan Crumley here. We're talking about federal charges here, federal gun crimes. What's under the microscope right now, the potential illegal transfer of that handgun that was used in the shooting. It is a federal crime to purchase a handgun in your name, only to give that handgun to someone else. It's called a straw purchase. The local Ford defenders asking law enforcement expert Steve Dolan about straw purchases. Steve, what is a straw purchase? Straw purchase is when I go and buy a handgun and I claim it's for me, but it's not. It's either for someone who's a felon, someone who uh, can't get a weapon on their own, or for a minor. The defenders say, hold on, hold on. Hold on. That's exactly what the fuck I was saying last week. I thought about that shit last week because that shit, I'm like, hold up, man. That don't even sound like they should have even been able to do that. I said that shit last week. As a matter of fact, first things, like, I'm thinking about straw purchases and shit, right? Um, because there's a thing where you're not supposed to be able to buy a gun for someone who's legally not able to buy a pur purchase a firearm for themselves. Um, so that's one of the things that was like a red flag for me that his parents would just say, well, fuck it, then we'll go buy the gun. Maybe. And it's a handgun, too. So they have to register the handgun, possibly register the handgun to his father because his father was the one who bought it. But he was basically buying it for the purposes of giving to his son. So that's to me, that's a charge right there. That there was a possible straw purchase for the per for the for the for the purpose of giving a gun to his son. I'll be goddamn, man. Have confirmed federal prosecutors are now looking at the parents of accused Oxford school shooter Ethan Crumley for allegedly violating federal laws when the handgun in the Oxford shooting was purchased. Investigators confirmed father James Crumley bought the handgun in his name. Crumley's mother, Jennifer, confirmed the potential illegal transfer of that firearm to 15-year-old Ethan yep. in an Instagram post saying the gun was for her son. The, the weapon was bought for him. He had easy access to it. There was no, it was not safely secured. He essentially considered it his gun. In this particular case, the father claims he bought the handgun for himself. And yet he's made public comments, is my understanding, saying, I, I got it for my son. I did too. Well, the son's not 21. Nope. And it's a handgun. It's a handgun. You Even if you were to purchase it. a rifle, the you be person 18. you're giving it to has to be at least 18. Back here live, Ethan Crumley is 15 years old. Another federal crime I'm told is being looked at here is bringing a handgun within a thousand feet of a school. Devin Kimberly, back to you. Sean, I would. Yeah, man. Um, and this is the thing. This is the point that I try to make when we talk about guns and gun laws and gun, you know, gun ownership and stuff like that. Uh, I know a lot of folks like like they have this idea of like what a responsible gun owner is. A responsible gun owner knows all of this shit and follows the fucking rules, man. We follow the fucking rules. Like, listen, like, that's a 10-year felony. A straw purchase is a 10-year fucking felony, dude. Like, you buy a gun or a, a handgun especially, because I know here the laws in Michigan are like so, are, are, are like so right? You, The thing is, with, uh, with a rifle, you don't necessarily have to, you don't actually have to register a rifle at all, right? 
uh, but you do have to be at least 18 years of age in order to purchase a rifle. If your parents are going to buy you a rifle, guess what they have to do? They can't buy you a rifle <laughs> until you're 18, right? The same thing with like with uh, with a, a, a pistol or a handgun. You have to register your handgun when you buy a handgun in here in the state of Michigan. Not only do you you get a sales, you get a sale. Okay, so here's the thing: when you buy a handgun in Michigan, you get uh, uh, the the place that sold you the gun. They keep a sales record of your purchase of the weapon from them, right? Then they give you a card. You have to give that. You have to keep one card for yourself, and that is to show your uh, proof of registration of said uh, firearm, right? Then you have to go to the police department of your city that you stay in or that you live in. You have to give them two copies of it because they give they keep a copy and they send another copy to the state of Michigan uh, or the Michigan State Police, right? So his father bought all of this, but he bought the gun, did all of this shit. Only to just hand the gun to his son and say, this is your birthday gift or this is a Christmas gift. That's that's a straw fucking purchase. That is a 10 year felony on top of all the other shit that he's got going on. And so, um, yeah, man, like this is I'm so, I'm just glad that at this point, those charges are actually being meted out. Because my whole thing when it comes to like the gun laws and shit is that we actually enforce the fucking laws that are already in place, man. There are laws already in place for shit like this. And so, uh, yeah, man, a 10 year felony for both his mom and well, possibly more for so more so for his father, because his father was the one who actually purchased it and registered that gun in his own name only to give that gun to his son. So, um, yeah, man, um, put these motherfuckers up under the jail just put them up under the jail but yo man that is in the news now another story that we have here in the news has to deal with the fact that uh the supreme court is actually allowing challenges to the texas abortion law and that'll be a monkey's bare-assed uncle but they're allowing the abortion law to stand while their challenges are being put through the court system god damn yeah, so we get the story here. This comes out of... Hold on just a second. Let me pull this back. Uh, but we get the story here. This comes out of Go.com. Go.com, I believe, is an ABC website. But uh, it says, uh, The Supreme Court on Friday allowed Texas's near-total ban on abortions to stay in effect more than three months after a majority of justices allowed the law, SB8, to be implemented, denying women across the nation's second most popular state a constitutionally protected right. But the court said abortion providers could continue to challenge their law. Uh, the eight-one decision, dis- written the eight-one decision written by Justice Neil Gorsuch, was at least a temporary victory for abortion providers and civil rights groups that had been challenging the law. The court said the ultimate merits question, uh, whether SB eight is consistent with the federal constitution is not before the court, nor is the wisdom of SB-8 as a matter of public policy. It dismissed a Biden administration request to stay enforcement of the Texas law. Um, for those of you who say that the Biden administration doesn't do shit. Um, during fast-tracked oral arguments heard earlier, many justices were openly skeptical about Texas's law unprecedented enforcement mechanism that mechanism and what it could mean for other states' attempts to limit constitutional rights. Uh, SB8 bans abortions after six weeks of pregnancy and delegates enforcement to everyday citizens rather than state officials who can file civil lawsuits against anyone who aids or abets an unlawful procedure. It state sponsors 
deliberately intended to circumvent federal court review, knowing that such a ban on its face violates constitutionally protected abortion rights. So, um, yeah, man, the, the Supreme Court allowed for I think the biggest thing that folks are really pissed off about is the fact that the state, the, the Supreme Court allowed for this Texas law to just kind of stay on the books right now, that they are allowing this law to still be enforced, that people could still be subject to uh, $10,000 lawsuits if they are aiding and abetting someone in the pursuit of an abortion. And so, um, you know, that's the thing that has people up in arms. The, the fact that the court is this way. And the other part about it is this man. And this goes back into the whole idea that, you know, elections have consequences and that, um, you know, in 2016, the Supreme court was on the ballot. Right. And when you think about the fact that, in the past 30 years, the vast majority of the votes for president have been for Democratic candidates, right? And yet, in two elections, we've gotten a uh, Donald Trump and we've gotten a George W. Bush, both of whom got less votes in their <laughs> in their initial election, right? Both of them, uh, George. Uh, you know, we 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 could talk about like the. Uh, the case uh, when it came to like Al Gore against George W. Bush and how that was decided by the conservative-leaning Supreme Court. Uh, we could talk about the fact that the Electoral College allowed for Donald Trump to become president despite the fact that he had less than 3 million, he had 3 million less votes than Hillary Clinton in 2016. Uh, we could talk about that, right? However, um, because of the, mecha the, the way in which, you know, these presidents have been elected, the presidents are the ones who put forth the Supreme Court nominees. Donald Trump was able to put three fucking Supreme Court nominees on that court. Three of them. And Donald Trump believes that the Supreme Court owes him because he put <laughs> at least Neil Gorsuch and uh, Brett Kavanaugh and Amy Coney Barrett. He believes that they owe him some decisions because he was the one who nominated him. Like Donald Trump is very tra uh, transactional in that way. Right. And so all of these people who are conservative leaning are folks who have they, like, like in, in their confirmations, they talked about Roe versus Wade being settled, you know, precedent and everything else. But, you know, it's one thing to like say that so you can get on the fucking court. Right. You know, you go into your confirmation hearings and shit like that. Yeah, you'll say whatever the fuck it is you because you want the job. Right. So you'll say whatever the fuck if it's going to get you the job. But they get on the court and now it's like, hey, you know what? Maybe we should we, maybe, maybe, maybe we should rethink this here. You know what I'm saying? Maybe, you know, maybe it might not necessarily be as settled as we think it should be. You know, maybe we should think about this. And so now, you once the Supreme Court went conservative, a lot of these states, a lot of conservative leaning, a lot of Republican leaning states like Texas, like Alabama, like Mississippi, like Georgia, a lot of these places are starting like to put forth laws that they think would be favorable to them because they know if a Supreme court challenge comes up, they have a likelihood of winning because they believe that the conservative leaning Supreme court will give them a victory in that way. Right. Donald Trump believes that if he, even with the January 6th shit, Donald Trump believes that like, yo, if I could get it to the Supreme court, I'm good because I put three of them motherfuckers up there. Right. Again, pay attention to the shit that's going on. Right. But, um, the thing is, in the meantime, there's a, there are thousands of women who have to figure out a way to terminate a pregnancy legally and they have to jump through hoops. They have to, 
they have to some of them don't have the means in which to like get to another state that would allow for them to have the abortion. Some of them don't have the means to, uh, you know, get with someone who has uh, the ability to get them to a state that they can have an abortion and things like that. And so um, it's just kind of weird that the Supreme court right now, which is allowing this fucking law to just kind of stand despite the fact that Roe versus Wade is set supposed to be settled precedent and everything else. And, you know, it just leaves a lot of women, in the lurch that they can't necessarily ex no it's weird it's weird to me in a time especially when we're doing we're dealing with covid and things like that when you got a lot of conservatives you got a lot of people who are mad about you know the vaccine mandates and shit they're talking about their bodily autonomy it's weird to me that those same people just disregard bodily autonomy when it comes to a woman searching for or wanting to have an abortion uh, for whatever the reason may be, whether it be because she doesn't feel like she's uh, financially able to take care of this child, whether or not it's the child wasn't, uh, wasn't properly planned for, whether or not this child was uh, the result of rape or incest. They don't give a fuck. Excuse me. They don't give a fuck, man. And this is how, like, this is why, like, when it comes to Republicans, man, they're like the biggest motherfucking hypocrites on the face of the earth and I have, I just don't have much respect for anybody who like listens to and adheres to a lot of this bullshit coming out of this current Republican Party because, like, man, listen, they don't believe the shit that they say, man. They really don't. It's only is is really circumstantial in how they apply their logic and everything else. And so, um, the fact that this law has been allowed to stand this long is a travesty. But um, I guess they can count a win, maybe, that they've allowed for there to be challenges. And I believe that there's going to be a challenge all the way up to the Supreme Court when it comes to this. But I just feel for the women who are in a, in dire straits, who don't know what they're going to do and are going to probably be forced to have a child that they're really not prepared and not uh, ready to take care of, man. And so that's in the news. But so, yeah, that's been the news. <laughs> We got breaking news, y'all. Oh, shit. So, breaking news, y'all. Breaking news here on the Span Report. Um, So, Governor Gavin Newsom of California has decided he's going to challenge this Texas abortion law in a really unorthodox way. He says that he's going to use the Texas abortion law tactics to restrict assault weapons in the state of California. <laughs> Got him! <laughs> Got him! <laughs> yeah, we get this story here. This comes out of NBC News. It says the California Governor Gavin Newsom said on Saturday that he plans to use the same tactic from Texas's abortion law to target assault rifle sales after the Supreme Court declined to block enforcement of the law. In a statement, Newsom said that he directed his staff to collaborate with the legislature and Attorney, Attorney General Rob Bonta to draft a bill that would allow private citizens to file lawsuits against anyone who manufactures, excuse me, manufactures, distributes, or sells an assault weapon or ghost gun kit or parts, of the, or parts in the state of California. 
If states can shield their laws from review by federal courts, then California will use that authority to help protect lives, Newsom said in a tweet. Uh, the announcement follows a ruling from the Supreme Court that abortion providers in Texas can proceed with lawsuits challenging SB 8, the nation's most restrictive abortion law that bans the procedure after the first six weeks of a pregnancy. But the court declined to block enforcement of the law while court battles continue, so the law remains in effect. Uh, the ruling provided a narrow victory for abortion clinics. Texas has sought to make the law nearly impossible to challenge in federal court. Uh, the state argued that abortion providers could not contest the law in advance, but had to wait until they were sued for violating it. Uh, the court also dismissed a separate lawsuit brought by the Justice Department that challenged, that, that challenged Texas's law. It also narrowed the field of possible defendants that can be sued in any lawsuits that go forward. Newsom said he was outraged by the Supreme Court ruling. But if states can now shield their laws from review by the federal courts that compare assault weapons to Swiss Army knives, then California will use that authority to protect people's lives where Texas used it to put women in harm's way. If that's the precedent, then we'll let Californians sue those who put ghost guns and assault weapons on our streets, Newsom wrote in a separate tweet, shared to Twitter. Now, um, listen, here's the thing. This is... I don't know, let me let me get this camera in focus here because my camera is like sometimes it just acts a little it, it, you know it'll be a little fuzzy Logitech no <laughs> but no um so here's the thing like with um with Gavin Newsom I think what what is happening here with Gavin Newsom and this uh, and this proposal is essentially um it's calling into question the legitimacy of the Supreme Court it's calling into the into uh is calling into the legitimacy of the federal court system by and large because of the fact that the, the court has allowed the Texas law to stand while it was being um, challenged and whatnot, right? And so one of the things that conservatives, especially those who call themselves pro-life, like to say is that this is about the sanctity of life. Well, okay, so if this is about the sanctity of life, we know guns take lives every day, right? Although I am a gun owner, and I'm very responsible with my gun ownership, and I try to my best to abide by the laws that are on the books. Um, I also understand that, like, yo, man, there are a lot of people who are also not using their guns responsibly, who are not following the laws, who are just going to do whatever the fuck it is that they're going to do, right? And so, um, I, I, I can't really knock what Gavin Newsom is doing here, right? Because if you're pro-life, in the ways in which conservatives purport themselves to be pro-life, really they're just pro-birth. Because once the child is here, they don't give a fuck. They don't care. They don't want you to get public assistance. They don't want you to have, uh, you know, the proper education. They just want the child. They they just want the child to be born. That's it. They just want the child to be born. Once the child is born, and you know, it's all is is out is left to its own devices. That's all they care about. But I'm. I, I can't really knock what Gavin Newsom is doing because it's calling into question the legitimacy of the current court when they would allow a law like this to stand while they also have a precedent with Roe versus Wade. Like, so I, I understand why he's doing it, right? Um, there's going to be a lot of gun nuts who are going to be up in arms, <laughs> quote unquote, and pun intended about this shit. But at the same time, it's like, hey, man, listen, um, if it's good for the goose, it's good for the gander. You couldn't possibly be thinking that, yeah, this is going to be, you know, if, if this is the tactic that was going to be used, then this is going to be the only way that it was going to be used, right? And so um, Gavin Newsom is 
possibly banning assault weapons, possibly banning um, the purchase of parts for said assault weapons. I know California already has some very strict gun laws already, um, but it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out in the courts, how this plays out uh, in um, in the legislatures across the country. And uh, I, I'm listen, as much as uh, <laughs> I want to hold on to my shit, uh, I also understand why these sort of things are happening. So that has been breaking news. But yo, man, we out of the news, y'all. It's time for us to get into Blue Blazes. What in Blue Blazes is going on out here? Did this nigga just say Blue Blazes? Yeah, man. And our first story here in Blue Blazes has to do with the fact that, like, so listen, y'all. Um, I- I've been on Twitter quite a bit this last week, as much as I could be, you know, working seventy hours and shit, right? But um, there was this, there was this one tweet that did catch my eye. Somebody was talking about this show. I haven't actually watched an episode of this show yet. It comes on Amazon. It's called uh, Harlem, and there was a scene in Harlem. That really had folks uh, up in up in arms and shit, right? And so uh, we get this story here. This comes out of Essence.com. It says why Harlem is being called out over a 45 seconds barbershop scene. Uh, let me. I'm gonna go ahead and pull up the original website here, though, because I I think the tweet is also available here in this website, and the video is available there, which is important because I will play the video here in a second. But um, it says the highly anticipated black woman led comedy Harlem created by Tracy Oliver and starring Megan Good, Grace Byers, Jerry Johnson, and Shaniqua uh, Shandai, uh, Shandy, I'm, I'm sorry if I'm mispronouncing that sister's name, uh, premiered on Amazon Prime on Friday. Amid the fan acclaim of the hilarious portrayals of sisterhood, career woes, hookup hijinks, and relationship drama, one scene in particular is causing somewhat of a controversial stir on social media. In one scene in episode four, Winter Solstice, Ty, the masculine presenting lesbian character played by Johnson, is getting her hair cut at her regular barbershop ahead of a photo shoot for a feature in Forbes magazine. Just as her haircut gets underway, a new barber bursts in loudly and cruelly detailing a recent sexual encounter while using misogynistic terms. When Ty lets her barber know she's uncomfortable and asks him to handle it, he lets her know that the barber is new to the shop and unaware of the rules before he turns and asks him to tone it down in the presence of a lady. Well, maybe the lady shouldn't try so hard to look like a dude, he says, raising his voice to continue the crash story, noting that the barbershop is a safe space for him to speak in that manner. Despite the fact that Ty has been a loyal customer for years, her barber refuses to handle the situation any further, noting that the new barber is a distant family member. This prompts Ty to leave, refusing to sit and listen any further. Though the scene only takes up 45 seconds interval in time, it caused a ripple effect on social media with many calling the clip a derogatory portrayal of not only black barbershop culture, but of black men in general. Host and commentator Van Lathan led a discussion of the clip on his Instagram page expressing that the scene just isn't fair as it is an occurrence that he has never personally witnessed. Oh my God. Really, Van? Really, nigga? Like, hold on. Like, really? What? So Van Lathan was leading this discussion, talking about this is something he ain't familiar. Oh, okay, I'm, let me let me let me pull this up so you guys can watch right along with your man Span. Hold on a second while I do this here, um, so I can share my screen because I want y'all to see this shit, man. But all right, so let's see what they're talking about. I'm telling you, these hoes bust it wide open for a six-piece nugget, no fries. Yo, you gonna handle this? He's no, you know the rules. Yo, Aunt, chill. You got a lady present. Maybe the lady shouldn't try so hard to look like a dude. 
Lock shop's a safe space? You're not using the term safe space correctly, dumbass. Yeah, well, she just laying there all nutted on and shit. Yo, CJ, please get your boy. Todd, what can I do? Aunt's family. I've been coming here for years. We've been, but me and Aunt are family. He's my mom's sister, son's nephews. Your cousin's up. So anyway, I'm about to titty fuck the hole, right? And then suddenly I realized Shorty got one titty bigger than the other. Fuck this. <laughs> all right. So... Here's the thing, right? I initially saw a tweet about this on Twitter. And, um, yeah, I was, <laughs> like, off top, yeah, it's a comedy. Some people may say, like, this, this, the scene itself was over the top, right? Like, you know, this was, like, it, it, you know, some shit happens, but it don't happen like that, right? But what was interesting to me, what was very interesting to me was like how many niggas was up under that tweet acting as though this sort of shit does not happen in barbershops across the motherfucking nation, right? So I don't go to the barbershop no more. I cut my own shit, bruh. Like it, it's hard to fuck up a bald head, man. I mean, I got only I can't even grow a full beard even if I wanted to, bro. Like it just you know like the, the gene guys, the hair guys, like gotta fuck with your boy in in a major way, man. My hairline been fucked up all my life, so I'm like, you know, when when my when my shit start looking like the McDonald's golden arches, I'm like, man, I don't, I ain't trying to keep it, it ain't trying to be kept, nigga. It's time for all this shit to go, right? So I keep like a little shadow of a goatee and shit, you know. But not only that, because the job won't let me grow a full beard. Nigga. Either. So I ain't got no use for a motherfucking barber right now. Really, I really don't. I mean, unless he can keep my shit real tight, you know what I'm saying? But I used to go to the barber shop, man. I used to go to the barber shop, and oftentimes the barber shop could be a place where you could have some spirited discussion. You talk about sports, talk about football, talk about basketball. Very seldom do niggas talk about baseball much anymore. And they for damn sure ain't talking about no goddamn hockey. But you go there, you can have some spirited discussions with people, right? The problem is everybody is having this discussion and the problem is everybody ain't equipped to have these discussions and so when you go into the barbershop oftentimes you are inundated with ignorant niggas who don't know what the fuck they talking about talking about shit right it kind of reminds me it's almost like that um what was that shit that i had with uh with joe button man like he wanted motherfuckers this right here i believe oh, I shut up Shut the fuck up. <laughs> Damn. Enough. Enough. And boy, I've been sick to my fucking stomach watching you imbeciles type things. Yeah. Stop typing. You niggas are stupid. Only they wasn't typing. They was talking. And this was going on in the barbershop. I stopped going. I stopped going to fucking barbershops. Because the conversation in a lot of these fucking barbershops was fucking toxic as hell. And I don't want to feel... I, Listen, man, I want to come in there and get a cut. If we talking about, you know, some some funny shit, we talking about the game or whatever, cool. But oftentimes, man, the conversation delves off into other shit. It's like, man, come on, bro, for real? For real? And so, to me, watching niggas on Twitter talk about, like, yo, that shit, that's some bullshit, man. This is some bullshit, man. They like, they always trying to paint the black man in a negative light. This, that, and the other, nigga. I don't know no, ain't that shit ain't never happened in my barbershop, nigga. I don't know what they talking about. I'm going to tell you niggas this here right now. Just because you aren't aware of some shit doesn't mean said shit ain't happening, right? I'm going to need you niggas to stop equating the world with your fucking experience because you, 
your experience is infinitesimal to what's happening in the fucking world. You don't even go to all the barbershops in your city, let alone all the barbershops in your country. Shut the fuck up. You don't know. Right? And one of the things I thought I thought about like when, you know, when I used to go to barbershops, man, was like when I would be in a barbershop, it it never it it it, it always like kind of excuse me. It always kind of stood out to me that a sister would bring her son to get her haircut. And especially this last barbershop that I used to go to pretty regularly before I stopped going. But a sister would bring her son into a barbershop to get his haircut. And oftentimes she had the barber that she liked the way he cut his hair or whatever. She would leave her son in there and go out and sit in her car. Right. She would go sit in her car because one conversation in there could get a little raunchy. And two, she probably felt uncomfortable because a lot of niggas would just sit there and gawk at her, right? A lot of sisters don't even, like, want to be in the barbershop because they know that, like, either they're being gawked at or they're being talked about in hushed tones, right? Because niggas, you know, niggas are niggas. Like, you got a room full of niggas and there's, like, a woman in there. Like, you know, that's kind of what it was. And so they would go out and they would they would leave their sons in the room and they would go out into the car. They would just sit in the car because they don't want to be gawked. They don't want to be talked about. They would just sit in the car. Or it's been times where I went to a barbershop nigga and it was straight up pornos being played on the TV in the in the, in the shop. Titties and shit, titties and dick and shit all on the TV and shit. And then like if a kid came in and they heard him, you know, turn that shit off or whatever. But the idea that this is somehow made up that this is a conspiracy against the black man to like, 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 like our, this our safe space. And like, they trying to mismerge our safe space. Like, come on, bro. Come on, man. Like, I'm sure there are women who've had fucked up experiences in barbershops. You can't just say that because you haven't witnessed this shit, that this shit doesn't happen. I asked my wife. Cause my wife was wearing a shortcut, man. My, my wife had a badass fade, man. Like my wife is fine. You know what I'm saying? My wife is fine. And my wife was walking around with a badass fade. And I was asking my wife, I was like, yo, man, like, have you ever had any experiences, you know, at the barbershop that you thought was like kind of, you know, kind of fucked up. And she told me like, yeah, like she felt like, you know, dudes would like you know act like they would have like they would like be trying to get on it ask awkward questions they'd be talking you know stupid shit or whatever or like there'd be hushed tones and stuff like that but like she felt uncomfortable in a lot of these places and so like to say that these things don't happen is like yo man i think that was the shit that was bothering me the most it was like, like a lot of the conversation around us is like yo niggas is talking about how this doesn't happen and then you got like women saying like all these experiences that they had in barbershops that they thought was inappropriate, that you had mothers who were talking about like, yo man, I leave my son in there because I don't want to deal with, or I don't want to like have to like be gawked at when I'm at the, at the barbershop. And then you have dudes who've also been in the barbershop who've also been like, man, I don't really know if I really want to keep going to this barbershop because the niggas in here are ignorant. Right. And I don't really feel like arguing with you dumb motherfuckers over what, you know, whether or not, you know, Donald Trump is a really good dude because he's funny on Twitter or whatever the fuck, right? And so, yeah, man, um, the fact that this even got to the level of, yo, Essence Magazine is writing an article about it 
is uh <laughs> is actually kind of crazy to me right but um the article goes on to say it says i'm 41 years old been in hundreds of barbershops nationwide never seen a black lady disrespected like this he said i'm not saying that it has never happened but i'm saying this is we have to be careful about the portrayal of black women of our women and lgbtq brothers and sisters we also have to be equally as careful about the betrayal of our men. Responses to Lathan's posts and across Instagram and Twitter have exploded with responses calling this portrayal of black men and black barbershops unfair and irresponsible. Listen here, man. And I think this is also a part of the thing. Um, we have to stop extrapolating one experience with the whole of the black experience, right? So one show on amazon doesn't encompass the entirety of what it means to be black at barbershop even my experience of what it means to be black at the barbershop isn't the definitive experience of that i am not oblivious to the fact that my experiences at the barbershop which have led me to stop going to barbershops is my experience i don't therefore say like all black barbershops are fucked up i'm just saying the ones that i've been to have been fucked up Right. And so that's the thing, man. Like there's like this, this idea that when it, like I, we, we deal with so much emotional and, um, what's the word that I'm looking for here? Uh, we deal with so much, not only just emotional, but, um, ah, shit. I can't think of the word that I'm thinking about right now, but it's like this thing where like, we feel as though when we are portrayed, a certain way, even if it's a, a an accurate portrayal of black life, in many ways, sometimes we don't want that to be put out into the atmosphere, right? We don't want that. It's almost as if we're airing our dirty laundry, so to speak. But the honest, like the like the truth of the matter is, there are people, and the LGBTQ community can attest to this because they've said so. Like, yo, when I go into a barbershop, these have been some of my experiences. As a black man, who the fuck am I to tell them? I'm like, yo, man, your experience is some bullshit. I ain't never seen it. Therefore, it didn't happen. Right? And that's the problem. Too many of us have been so willing, so willing to just say that because I haven't noticed this shit or I haven't seen this shit, your experience is null and void. It didn't happen. Ain't that the same thing white folks do to us when we talk about racism, dog? It's the same shit, man. It's the same shit. But yo, that's in blue blazes, man. That's been <laughs> that's been in blue blazes. It's been crazy to kind of like you know witness some of that discussion, man. Real talk. But uh, this story, this next story that we got here though, is it is it, it, kind of crazy. Let me try to focus this camera here because this camera, I don't know what the fuck, man. But there we go. Now we focus. Thank you, camera. Thank you. But uh, this 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 story that we have here is actually kind of crazy. I'm I'm surprised this is something that we even talking about here in 2021, man. Who the fuck saw this on it? Who who the fuck had this on the bingo card? You know what I'm saying? So um, check this out, y'all. Apparently, former first lady Nancy Reagan had that uh. That throat mass of 6,000, man. They are who we thought they were. And we let them off the hook. Uh, is she, though? Is she, though? Did we all have, you know, Nancy Reagan having the throat mass of 6,000? 
Did we all have that on the bingo card? I don't know if we really thought that, Dennis Green. I don't know if that's what we really thought. But we're going to read this story here. This comes out of hiphopwire.com. So, you know, it's, you know, it's sketchy, but still. And I'm going to read this here. It says, just say gawk. Man, uh, Twitter in shock learning Nancy Reagan was an alleged glizzy glock. <laughs> God damn. All right, man. So I'm going to read this article, man. I'm going to read this article. It says the late Nancy Reagan is best remembered as the first lady of the United States when her former husband, her former actor husband, Ronald Reagan, became president in the 1980s. However, a journalist penned an unauthorized biography alleging that Mrs. Reagan was proficient in the arts of mouth work. Uh, how this began to be a sizzling Twitter trending topic occurred when conservative media figure Classically Abby essentially slut shame Madonna by comparing the 63-year-old songstress's sultry photo shoot to an idyllic family photo re- uh, featuring Reagan and her family. Uh, quickly, fans began to chime in and made mention of the journalist Kitty Kelly's book, which was mentioned in a 1998 Village Voice article and once more mentioned by Washington Babylon earlier this summer from the Village Voice. According to Kelly, Kitty Kelly's biography, Nancy Reagan was renowned in Hollywood for performing oral sex. Just say yes, Nancy, in the days when she was Nancy Davis, was known to give the best blowjob in town. Not only in the evening, but in the offices. That was one of the reasons why she was very popular on the MGM lot. It must have made her very popular with Ronnie as well. And I'm just going to say this right now. Um... Who the fuck had this on their bingo card, man? Now, because it's Twitter. Twitter went to town on this. Twitter went to fucking town on this. I swear to God. I I, I logged on to Twitters, man. And I was starting to see pictures of, like, Nancy Reagan and shit. I'm like, man, like, yo, man, what... Why you niggas talk about Nancy Reagan? You know, because like I told y'all, your man Span was working, man. I was working. I was at the job. I was out here, you know, keeping people safe and shit. I was at the job. I worked 60 hours this week, right? Nancy Reagan trending on Twitter. I'm looking at the pictures and all of the fucking references to Nancy Reagan and all these random dudes and shit, right? When she was first lady. I was like, yo, man, I don't get it. Why is Nancy Reagan trending on the twitter you know and whatever else right and so i asked the question somebody led me down the right path and all i got to just say is god damn yeah man i did not expect to see what the fuck i saw man i did not expect to see what the fuck i saw so here's the thing right um apparently nancy reagan had a reputation for giving the you know the throat mass of six thousand, you know back in the day you know what i'm saying and here's the thing right Shout out to Twitter for caught like y'all good for if, if 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 Twitter ain't good for nothing else, it's good for giving you a goddamn nickname, man. I've heard Nancy Reagan, the former first lady of the United States, referred to as a throat goat, um, the glizzy gobbler, the glizzy gobbler. Um, I've seen pictures of her, random dudes, and everybody suggesting the fact that like maybe she slobbed the knob on those dudes too. Um. It's been it's 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 been a it's been uh it's been a thing. It's been a thing. Um But throatus though. <laughs> you niggas came up with goddamn throatus, man, and Oh ho, oh, brother, ho, oh, whoa, 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 now. You got too much dip on your chip. Y'all 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 always doing too much, man. Y'all call that lady motherfucking throatus, bro. And like <laughs> I swear to God. <laughs> 
<laughs> y'all doing too much, man. Y'all doing way too much. But listen, man. Um. Oh shit. Uh, <laughs> I get it, right? I get it. Some conservative lady was out here slut shaming Madonna and shit. And she tried to use Nancy Reagan as the paragon of virtuous shit, not knowing that Nancy Reagan had the reputation. But here's the other part about this, though. Hold on a second. I don't even know if this lady did not know, right? Because the whites knew, right? The whites knew. As a matter of fact, the whites was out here acting surprised that nobody else fucking knew. The whites was out here just like, wait a minute. Hold on. Like, y'all don't know? What? How do y'all not know that Nancy Reagan was out here slobbing knobs? What? Like, Nobody fucking knew this was not the thing like the blacks was out here talking about because we don't really talk about the Reagans other than like the fact that like Reaganomics was fucked up, right? So like they were out here talking about Nancy Reagan slobbing random knobs. I'm seeing pictures with Mr. T. I'm seeing pictures with Frank Sinatra and all these motherfuckers. I'm seeing pictures with, with like fucking Ray Charles. Ray Charles got the biggest smile on his goddamn face, right? And I'm seeing all of y'all referring to this lady as a throat goat. And honestly... I get it. It was an attack on an attack because apparently this, uh, what was this lady's name? Uh, something Abby. Let me go back to the, <laughs> let me go back to the article. But, um, uh, what's her name? Classically Abby was basically trying to slut shame 63 year old Madonna to say like, yo, you being trashy. Meanwhile, Nancy Reagan at your age was being very wholesome and everything else. And people had to re- basically, this is like to remind you like, like, hold on, bitch. This 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 Nancy Reagan that you holding on as a paragon of virtue was out here slobbing knobs all over Hollywood. She was out here getting the wood, if you know what I'm saying. Like that's how that was the Twitter attitude, man. And I'm just saying, man. Like a lot of these pictures took on a whole different meaning when you started seeing, like when you have this knowledge, you like all these motherfuckers got big ass smiles on their face when Nancy Reagan like want to dance with them want to sit on a lap and shit and you looking at pictures of ronald reagan being very protective and shit pictures of her laying in ronald reagan's lap and whatever else they have whole new meanings and whatnot right but i'm gonna just tell y'all this right now man even though y'all are like slut shaming the slut shaming right y'all slut shaming the slut shaming because let's be real man nancy reagan was first lady she was the floatist man she had the United States. She had the United States in the palm of her hand because her husband was president, man. Now think about this for a minute. Let's just go back for a second now. Let's think about this for a second. Nancy Reagan was the first lady to float us, not to throw this. I mean, we didn't know her as throw this at the time, but yeah, <laughs> right. Her husband had his, his hand on the button. Now, Ronald Reagan was president during the Cold War. Think about this for a second. We could have been, we could have went to nuclear war with Russia when Ronald Reagan was president. It wasn't Russia, just it was the USSR, you know, the Soviet Union and shit, right? They was a nuclear power. We was a nuclear power. It was the Cold War. You know, we knew that there was, you know, the possibility of mutual destruction. If one of us like set off a nuke and they was going to set off a nuke and this whole day, the world going to blow. Right. We knew this. Right. Nancy Reagan. was probably the hero we didn't know we had. The hero we didn't know we needed. Because could you imagine Ronald Reagan being pissed off at Mikhail Gorbachev? Back in the 80s, nigga? Could y'all imagine that, nigga? Could, th- I mean, think about this for a second. 
Ronald Reagan on the phone with like the United Nations or something like that, or maybe even Mikhail Gorbachev himself, you know, because he had, you know, he had the audacity to go to Germany and say, uh, uh, Mikhail Gorbachev tear down his wall and shit. But think about this for a second. You know, that, man, Ronald Reagan could have been a hothead, man. Maybe the reason why we didn't go to nuclear war, maybe the reason why there wasn't a world war through is because Nancy Reagan was in our, in that White House, man. Maybe because we had to throw this in the White House, man. I mean, I, I need y'all to think about this. Many of our kids probably wouldn't be here had it not been for Nancy Reagan. She's probably a hero we didn't know we needed. And we didn't know we had. Ronald Reagan on the phone with the United Nations and shit. He's like, hold on, let me get my Ronald Reagan. <laughs> Tell Mr. Gorbachev that if he doesn't move his his troops out of the Balkans, then I will have to send my men over there and we won't have to go to war. Better yet, I won't even send my men over there. I could just launch some missiles and <laughs> Okay, listen, tell Mikhail Gorbachev that uh, I was tripping. Tell Mikhail Gorbachev that we don't need to go to war. We don't even have to have a nuclear, like, we can have a nuclear dearmament. But tell Mikhail Gorbachev that if he tears down that wall in Germany, that I will be willing to have a a, uh, a a summit, if you will, with the with the Russian leader, and maybe we can uh, get these nukes off the table. And, yeah. This is uh this has been a productive meeting and uh I will talk to you guys again soon. Uh this is uh Ronald Reagan signing off and God bless America and God bless Nancy Reagan. Listen, I'm telling y'all right now, man, Nancy Reagan may be the reason why many of y'all kids still running around here right now. That we are even alive right now like for 2021 possibly going into 2022 i mean we could also fault her for like you know us being alive and enough of these motherfuckers being alive to vote donald trump in as president but i'm just saying man i'm just saying the throat goat the throat is six thousand. like the throat is was among us in the 80s and she's a national hero and i won't have y'all besmirched as ladies character man i know she's republican okay i get it i know i know that she didn't give a fuck about, you know, you know, uh, stem, uh, uh, I'm sorry. She didn't give a fuck about, you know, what, what was that shit? Uh, uh, shit. I'm, I'm, I'm losing my motherfucking train of thought now. (laughs) Oh man. Uh, stem cell research. That's what I was thinking about. Stem cell research. I know she didn't give a fuck about stem cell research until, uh, Ronald Reagan was suffering from Alzheimer's, but who, but here's the other part about it. Here's the flip side of that. Who's to say that Nancy Reagan also wasn't the cause of Ronald Reagan suffering from the Alzheimer's? Because she probably, like, she blew that nigga's brains out. Like, (laughs) 
rot his brains out, bruh. And that's probably the reason. Is that a fucking bug? I'll be goddamn. That is a goddamn bug. Hold on a second, man. I got to kill a bug, man. What the fuck, bro? You don't live here, man. You don't pay no bills. Ugh. Where'd he go? Alright, I'll catch his ass later. But uh <laughs> yo, know, that's in Blue Blazes, man. Uh another story that we have here in Blue Blazes. I almost uh, I I really thought about putting this story here and um and proud to be an American. Because this seems to like some proud to be an American shit, right? But uh there was a lady who, you know, we talk about uh, we talked about this earlier when it came to uh the email that Reggie wrote this excuse me. Where um, we talked about like the the battle for critical race theory and like um, how these people are going to these school board meetings and they're fighting against these things. But also when it comes to COVID, these people want the kids to go to school. They don't want the kids vaccinated. They don't want the kids to wear masks. They don't want to be a part of any mitigating efforts when it comes to eradicating the COVID uh, the, the COVID uh, pandemic here. And there was this one lady who like kind of encompassed the American like well. Honestly, I, I kind of feel like the, the quintessential right-wing American idea of what it means to be anti-vax, anti-mask and shit. These motherfuckers are out here singing goddamn COVID carols, y'all. Goddamn! They singing COVID carols, y'all. So let me pull this up so you guys can watch. Right along with your man span. She went to a school board meeting so that she could sing a COVID carol to the school board because she doesn't want her children to have to wear a mask or be vaccinated when they go to school. So let me pull this up so you guys can watch right along. And here we go. Let's see. Uh, okay. Um, let's play it. Bridget. Let's end this emergency. I don't want a lot for Christmas. Just body autonomy. Let's just say this right now. I know she sucks at karaoke too. And like she probably just she probably had a few before she got out. Like she she probably had a few drinks and got the courage. But I'm sure when she's at the karaoke bar, they're like, oh my god, it's her again. Fuck. I don't care about the variants because of natural immunity. I just want my freedom now. The Constitution will show us how. Make my dreams come true. Oh my God. And the state of emergency and acknowledge early treatment. Ivermectin, not just horse paste and hydroxychloroquine, vitamin C and vitamin D, then the zinc and quercetin. I won't wear a useless mask. I don't need to stay at home. And my kids should go to school. We don't need to be alone. I just want my freedom now. The Constitution will show us how. 
Make my dreams come true, baby, and emergency. Let's have a happy holiday, everybody. Yeah, COVID done broke white folks, man. COVID done broke these motherfuckers. I'm sorry, man. But not only that. Not only that. I just, I, what I really wish somebody at that goddamn, like, school board meeting would have just said was like, What the fuck is wrong with you? You're crazy? Yeah, I, I, I just kind of wish somebody would have said that to her. You know what I'm saying? Like, yo, what, what the fuck is wrong with you? <laughs> like, seriously, man. But that has, uh, that has been Blue Blazes, y'all. What in Blue Blazes is going on out here? <laughs> All right, now our uh, well, you know, it's time for this, y'all. Well, we're out here denying the COVID 19, and we don't really want your goddamn vaccine, but we will jump on TikTok searching for cloud. So I guess you can say we fucked around and found out. around and find out time here at the spirit Report podcast man and our um well we only got one story here for fuck around and found out and the reason why we only had a one is because this is one article and it actually kind of questions things such like the fuck around and found the fuck around and find out segment right we get this story here this comes out of the new york times and it says they died from covid then the online attack started right uh, I'm going to read a bit from this because it's a, a really long article. But, um, yeah, it just kind of calls into question things like the fuck around the, the fuck around and find out uh, segment and websites that are sort of mocking those who are been um, very vocal about their anti-vax, anti-mask, anti-COVID stances. Um, and they've died from it, right? So, we, I'm gonna, like I said, this, we're going to read this story here. This comes from the New York Times. It says, the social media profiles of anti-vaccine victims of the pandemic have made them and their families targets of trolling even after their deaths. Uh, before, the, he, before he died of COVID-19 in September, Nick Bledsoe was not shy about publicly sharing his opposition to masks and vaccines on Facebook. In April, Mr. Bledsoe, an auto mechanic from Olipa, um, uh, Apalika, Alabama, Apalika, Alabama, added a frame declaring, I don't care if you've had your vaccine, to his profile photo and urged his father to not get the shot. During the summer, he posted a petition against school mask requirements, cursed President Biden and his vaccine, and in his final post, shared a video casting doubt on the safety of vaccination against the coronavirus. Then, with his last words before being placed on a ventilator, Mr. Bledsoe agreed to get vaccinated once he recuperated, according to his father. But he never left the hospital. Dying at the age of 41, and leaving behind a wife and four children. And to that, I will say, God damn! Also, you shouldn't have been talking shit! Right, so, uh, yeah, because that's fucked up. Uh, the day after Mr. Bledsoe died, his father started urging those who were unvaccinated to get the shots. Uh, the details of Mr. Bledsoe's death and desperation-fueled change of heart stayed 
stayed largely confined to his Facebook page. That is until they appeared in screenshot detail uh, the following week, the following week on a website that compiles the, the coronavirus deaths of vocal vaccine opponents. Almost immediately, strangers began barraging the dead man's Facebook page with insults and mockery. They were making comments that he should have uh, that he should have died, that he deserved to die. His father Hal Bledsoe said, "His father Hal Bledsoe, it hurt." Uh, these and many other losses fill a host of websites that claim to be educational but are fueled by Schadenfreude at the deaths of the unvaccinated, whose social media posts included Trump memes and conservative conspiracy theories. An exhortation one on one such site reads: "Everyone listed on this site helped spread COVID-19 misinformation and then paid the price for their views." Shared to stop others from making the same mistakes. Uh, Shaden Freud or public service. Just as cell phones have changed American uh, policing, social media has transformed the way Americans chronicle their lives and increasingly their demise. It has also resulted in many people leaving behind a trail of ideology that's hard to untangle from their untimely deaths. And in a hyperpartisan culture plagued by alter alternative facts and debates over the most basic scientific realities of the pandemic, Many among the vaccinated are eager to brandish such accounts as a final and indubitable proof that the COVID deniers and those who are anti-vaccine are dangerously misguided. Tapping into the outrage are Reddit forums where there are entries focused on suicide by COVID and awards granted to those who die. The cruel sentiments have migrated offline as well, manifesting in things like gravestone lawn ornaments engraved with the phrase, I did my own research, images of which were shared widely on social media before Halloween. Uh, Colin Wayne Leach, a psychology professor at Bernard College, who also who has studied emotions like Schadenfreude and gloating, said the sentiments underpinning these websites are an outgrowth of the nation's extreme polarization. Um, and that's as much as I'm gonna read from that article. I'm gonna you know leave a link on the website so you guys can check that article out for yourselves. But um, I think. The reason why websites like that exist, uh, the reason why, and I, I can only speak for myself when it comes to the uh, fuck around and find out segment, is the fact that so many of these people have ignored sound medical advice and they've allowed their politics and their allegiance to Donald Trump to... Um, their allegiance to Donald Trump to kind of lead where they're going, not not even so much lead where they're going to go medically. No, is 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 if that it's as if they don't give a fuck about society at large, right? Because this is a public health issue, and when we are looking for the public to participate in this large ass group project, and you don't want to do your part in order for us to get life back to normal to help us eradicate said disease then there's a lot of people who don't necessarily have the empathy and the sympathy that they used to have at the beginning of this pandemic because now we know more about what this disease is now we have tools that are in place that allow for us to fight against that pandemic and you are a person who is rejecting all of that right you don't want to do the social distancing you don't want to wear the mask you don't want to take the vaccine you just want to do the shit the way, you know, the way we used to do shit and trust and believe everybody else wants to do so too, but you don't want to do the work. You don't want to do the social distancing. You don't want to do the vaccine. You don't want to wear the mask. You just want to get back to the shit. And while you want to get back to the shit, 
with the pandemic still being across the world, across the globe, it's as if you're telling everybody else, man, fuck you. I'm going to do whatever it is I want to do. Right? And then when you die because of your recklessness, like, there's a lot of people who just really don't feel sorry for you. They just don't. Like, their their patience and their sympathy and their empathy is wearing thin. It is wearing thin. I Like, I'm at a point now, like, I, I kind of wonder, like, how many of, like, the nurses and the doctors who have COVID patients in their ICUs and these patients come in and they're unvaccinated and they're dying from it. I'm wondering at a certain point, like, why would you want to be a unvaccinated part? Why would you want to be an unvaccinated patient in the hospital right now? Right. Because I got I, I kind of get the feeling that these hospital workers are a bit like, oh, so you didn't take the vaccine and you could have you didn't even have to fucking be here. All right, man. I mean, I'll be back later, man. I mean, you want some apple juice or something, but. I mean, I guess, nigga, because, like, they don't have, like, not only are you putting them at risk, you're putting their family at risk when they got to go home and shit. You didn't do anything as far as, like, putting your effort into helping eradicate this shit. People are fucking tired, man. They are fucking tired. And and those of you who choose to be unvaccinated and die from COVID, people are starting to lose their empathy for that as well. Cause like, yo man, he made his bed. Now he's got a lie in it. Or he's made his coffin. Now he's got a lie in it. He played a stupid game. He won a stupid fucking prize. These are the things that get said about you. When you make foolish fucking decisions and then you're loud and wrong about it. A lot of these folks, if they weren't loud and wrong, probably wouldn't even be spoke about, but because they're loud and wrong is the reason why they get mocked. Now I'm going to just say this right now. I've never once uh, went to one of these people's pages and started like, you know, going at their family and shit like that. I think that's a bit much. Um, I think that like wishing death upon anybody is a bit much. Um, But I'm going to be very clear in where I feel about this. I at this point, I don't feel sorry that you lost your life based upon the decisions that you made that very well could have contributed to the fact that you lost your life. I don't feel sorry for you. I just don't. I just don't. That shit is gone. I want to get back to life as normal. I lost a lot of people during this, during this pandemic. Many people of whom meant a lot to your boy. So I don't feel sorry for y'all for helping contribute to the losses around the nation, around the world. I just don't. So um, the other part about this that I'm, I'm a little bit irritated about, and this, it, this has to do with the New York Times. Um, the New York Times, th- this particular type of story kind of reads almost similar to uh, the 2016 presidential election. And in fact, it like, remember when Donald Trump was first elected, everybody was trying to understand why these people voted for Donald Trump. And they kept going like, you know, they kept going to these diners and shit. And they're like, we're going to go to talk to real Americans and figure out why it was that Donald Trump was such an appealing candidate to him and stuff like that. Right. I kind of feel like this story lends itself something similar to this. Right. Where now we're trying to make sense of why these people are feeling the way that they feel, you know. And I, I, I feel as though like more attention is being given to those folks like. 
you know, the people who voted for Donald Trump are trying to understand them as opposed to, the, you know, the people who are actually out here doing the right fucking thing, man. At a certain point, you got to understand. There is a portion of this nation who has given up on the idea of what America is supposed to be. And they're fine with that. They're completely fine with that. They have adopted an ideology that is conducive to like authoritarianism and everything else. And it has become like a, a public health issue has become a political issue for a lot of them. So much so that they refuse to get a vaccine that could help them personally, but because they want to own the lip, they will die trying to own the libs. Think about that. These are the people you're trying to make sense of. These are the people you're trying to like, you know, um, you're trying to understand. Oh, it's very much understood that these people just don't really give a fuck about anything outside of themselves. It's very much understood for anybody paying attention. But yo, man, that's been fucking around to find out. Well, we're out here denying the COVID-19 and we don't really want your goddamn vaccine. But we will jump on TikTok searching for cloud. So I guess you can say we fucked around and found out. We fucked around and found out. Fuck around and find out. enough of that shit it's proud to be an american time here at this very poor podcast man and our first story here and proud to be an american has to deal with the fact that yo man excuse me a black couple another black couple then filed a lawsuit claiming that their home value was underestimated underestimated by half a million dollars because of the fact that they was black god damn yeah, man. So we get this story here. This comes out of CBSnews.com. I believe this video associated with this. So I'm going to go ahead and pull this video up so you guys can watch right along with your man Span. Hold on a second while I do that. And uh, let me do this here. Let's do that. And let's do that. And then we can click this thing. And then we can click this thing. And then we can pull this up. Share. All right. Here we go, y'all. Let's see what they're talking about. I'm Randy. And I'm Welcome Dave. back to and CBS Mornings. A racial you discrimination lawsuit in Northern California highlights an issue that many African-Americans have okay, complained about for decades. Home values set too low when the owners are black. Tanisha Tate Austin and her husband, Paul, say a white woman who appraised their home set its value at less than $1 million. So they ran an experiment. If they had a white friend stand in as the homeowner, would that raise that number? And a Warner... refresh this screen because apparently like the ad and the video want to play at the same time. So let's do this again. All right. 
All right. Welcome back to CBS Mornings. A racial discrimination lawsuit in Northern California highlights an issue that many African-Americans have complained about for decades. Home values set too low when the owners are black. Tanisha Tate Austin and her husband, Paul, say a white woman who appraised their home set its value at less than one million dollars. So they ran an experiment. If they had a white friend stand in as the homeowner, would that raise that number? Anna Werner shows what they found. This was completely different. Paul and Tanisha Tate Austin have been remodeling and improving their Marin City home ever since they bought it five years ago. So you open this up, open this, this whole thing up. here. Yeah. Gutted the entire kitchen. So when mortgage rates were low in early 2020, they jumped at the chance to refinance, something they had done in 2019 to take advantage of the home's higher value, generating more cash for additional improvements. That year, it appraised at over $1.4 million. But now, a year later, just $995,000. And when it came in so low, we both were like, oh, this is, this is wrong. And so the impact of that number for you was what? Significant. I mean, it's, 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 the, it's the financial impact, but it's the emotional impact. It's the feeling every day, like the tax of being African-American in this country. Like you don't know, it's, it's a coin toss. You, you're not yeah. for sure what's gonna happen. So for a second appraisal, they decided to do something they felt would get them a better number for sure, with the help of a friend named Jan. You said, let's do what? So I just said to Jan, I was like, I, we, we had a low appraisal. Will you be me? She's like, of course, I'll come over. And the thing to know about Jan is? She's white. With Jan now playing homeowner, they cleared away their own photos and art. Hey, man, shout out to allies like Jan who are willing to do this. You know what I'm saying? Because, um. Man, listen, <laughs> shout out to Jan, for real. We had to take down um, everything. Yeah. Like all of our art that you see around our homes, pictures, anything that's essentially resemble that this home belongs to a black family. It's like anything that was reminiscent of you and what you care about. Yes. You had to take down. Yeah. Yes. After what they call their whitewash, the new appraisal came in, nearly $1.5 million, close to half a million dollars more than the appraisal roughly a month before. You feel a sense of relief, like, I, I told you, but then you feel a sense of sadness, like, oh my goodness, like, I can't believe that it appraised for, we had to do what we had to do in order to have our house appraised for yeah. what it should have appraised for from the start. It's messed up. Right. Like we shouldn't have to, you know, I mean, it's you might as well say it's heartbreaking. And they say it proves the first appraisal took race and historical demographics into account in violation of the Fair Housing Act. They're now suing the appraiser who is white, claiming she used unsuitable, racially biased, comparable home sales or comps in determining their home's worth, giving it a low market value. They're not the only ones whitewashing their homes to find out if they'll get a better appraisal. Black families in Indiana and Ohio did the same with similar results. Mm -hmm. A recent study finds homes in the nation's black neighborhoods are often undervalued by an average of $48,000. It left me just with a realization that America hasn't, you know, gotten as far as it may think it has when it relates, uh, when it relates to race. CBS News reached out to the appraiser and the company for comment, but have not heard back. We really want people to understand that you, the, the, the practices of the appraisal system perpetuates 
black people, people of color, from being able to build wealth in their communities. And that has to stop. For CBS Mornings, I'm Anna Werner in Marin City, California. Yeah, man. So a couple things here, man. Um, one of the things that I think needs to be just kind of uh, kind of addressed here. Like we were talking about critical race theory earlier in the show, like when we were with the when we got the listener feedback from Reggie. I'm kind of talking about uh, critical race theory. One of the things, one there was a book that I read before I was like getting ready to go on to like my home buying journey and shit. It's called The Color of Law. It's a book that I would uh, I would recommend anybody to read. And it essentially talked about the home buying um, or the home buying experience, the the, the, the history of uh, the home buying experience for black people and some of the laws that were put in place to keep black people in certain areas of this uh, of the city or in the, in the towns and things like that. And they talked about racial covenants. Uh, they even talked a bit about this on um it talked a bit about this on the show uh, Lovecraft Country. For any of you guys who ever saw Lovecraft Country on uh, HBO, really great series. I hate that it only got one season, but they kind of spoke about this, about the racial covenants and like there being certain neighborhoods that you couldn't buy homes in if you were black. Uh, or like uh, even on, um, there was an, I, I'm forgetting the name of that series here. Oh, it was on Amazon. It was about the black family who bought the house in the white neighborhood and like the white neighbors who were like really doing every fucking thing they could possibly do to get this black family to move. But the idea, the history around this is steeped deep within the American like psyche and shit. Right. And so even today, even today, a black family has to make it appear as though. The, uh, the, that a white person owns the home in order for the house to get its proper appraisal. And the other part about it is this, right? This is just for like a black family who may be thinking about like refinancing to make improvements to their home. It's another way for like black people. Real estate is another way for like, just not just like Americans, but like black people specific, specifically. A lot of the wealth that black people t- genuinely, uh, tend to generate tends to come from like the owning of a home. Right. You own a home and then you're able to generate wealth from that. And so, uh, you know, this home, uh, you know, you go into the home buying process and yeah, they'll appraise it for higher. Maybe like especially when you're a buyer, they'll appraise it higher than what the house may be worth because you're black because they don't think you can afford it. And then when it comes to you refinancing or you trying to sell the home, they'll like lowball you because you're black and they don't want you to get the home value that it is actually worth. It's like a catch 20 fucking two if you're black in America. And so the idea like this, like this, this whole thing that we don't even want to talk about it. Like when we talk about the whole critical race theory thing, these are ideas. These are things that have been steeped in the American culture for the better part of a hundred years, 200 years when it comes to black people and the ownership of property of real estate. And the fact that here in 2021, we have families still dealing with this sort of shit. Yeah, man, it makes you very proud to be a goddamn American. Really motherfucking proud, man. So that's in PBA. Another story that we have here and proud to be an American has to deal with one Kanye West or someone associated with Kanye West, so to speak. So we get this article here. This comes out of the hill.com. But apparently 
there was a publicist, a former publicist, I believe. I don't know if she's a former publicist, a publicist of Kanye West, who is a Donald Trump supporter. Excuse me. She has been linked to an effort to have an election worker or to try to push an election worker to admit to election fraud in an effort to get Donald Trump reinstated as president of the United States. That'll be a monkey's bare-ass uncle. Yeah, like I said, we get this story here. This comes out of the Hill. It says a publicist who worked for Kanye West reportedly made a trip to Georgia after the 2020 presidential election to pressure an election worker into confessing to former President Trump's unfounded claims of fraud. According to a report from Reuters on Friday, Trevian Cootie arrived at Ruby Freeman's home on January 4th and informed her that she was sent by a high-profile individual with an urgent message. Cootie then proceeded to tell the 62-year-old woman, who had served as a temporary election worker, that she needed to confirm Trump's fraud allegations or people would descend on her home within two days and she would be jailed. Uh, Georgia was one of multiple states won by now President Biden, where Trump was has allegedly uh, president has alleged that widespread voting irregularities without evidence. Uh, at the time, Freeman, who had already been accused of perpetuating fraud by Trump allies, said she had become wary of strangers and did not open her door to Cootie. Instead, she called the police and asked a male neighbor to talk with Cootie and uh, an, un uh, and an unidentified man she was with, according to Reuters. When law enforcement officials came to the scene, Cootie identified herself as a crisis manager and informed police that Freeman was in danger, adding that she had 48 hours before unknown subjects arrived at her home, Reuters reported. Now, mind you, this happened on January 4th. Within 48 hours, January 6th was supposed to happen. January 6th was when they uh, were going to certify the election for president of the United States, uh, and which we all know was what led to the uh, assault on the Capitol, right? It says an officer suggested that the two women meet at the meet at a police station where a discussion was held with a with an officer present. I cannot say what specifically will take place. Cootie was heard telling Freeman in the recording captured by the officer's body cam. I just know that it will disrupt your freedom, she said, and the freedom of one or more of your family members. You are a loose end for a party that needs to tidy up, Cootie said, saying that federal people were involved in the situation. Freeman told Reuters that she also recalled Cootie saying, if you don't tell everything, you're going to jail. Uh, Freeman reportedly left that meeting, refusing to comply. The day after the meeting, an FBI agent contacted Freeman and warned her to leave her home due to safety concerns. The next day, January 6th, the same day that a mob of Trump supporters stormed the Capitol in an attempt to prevent the certification of the Electoral College vote, a crowd of Trump supporters arrived at her home with bullhorns, Reuters reported. Now, uh, I'm going to just go ahead and say this here right now. Um, it's shit like this. It, uh, it, it's shit like this why I can't. I can no longer fuck with anything Kanye West is associated with. Right? Like it, it, it's things like this, man. Um when it came to his bullshit presidential election like his presidential campaign, which we know was an effort to siphon votes away from Joe Biden in an effort to help Donald Trump become president. We know this motherfucker wasn't really trying to like become president. When we know that um, 
despite all of the bullshit that's been going on with the Donald Trump presidency, that Kanye West thought that Donald Trump made him feel like Superman, when we know that uh, the Trump administration has been attacking the rights of black voters across the nation, or trying to attempt to delegitimize black voters across Georgia, Arizona, Michigan, uh, Wisconsin, places that he, uh, Pennsylvania, uh, places where there were large swaths of black voters. Those were the places where uh, Donald Trump was uh, attempting to delegitimize those votes. The fact that there's a Kanye West associate going after a senior citizen black woman in an effort to like scare her into lying about and, and to, to confess uh, lying to a confession that would have been false of election fraud in order to help Donald Trump. It's shit like that where I'm like, it's fuck Kanye West forever and everybody who's associated with Kanye West. Fuck him. Fuck everything he stands for. Fuck his record label. Fuck his crew. Fuck his party. And as a Chicago one, it hurts to say that, 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 you know, say that about him because I was a huge fucking Kanye West fan, man. My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fatty is probably one of my favorite albums of all time and I have a hard time listening to it now. Just do. I have a hard time. Like, the whole idea of him squashing beef with Drake and shit. Like, I don't give a fuck about that shit. He's trying to free Larry Hoover. I don't give a fuck about that shit. Oh, man, he had a listening party at, 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 the, at the Mercedes-Benz Dome, man. It changed my life. Fuck that shit. Fuck him. Fuck everything associated with Don Kanye West. I swear to God, man. I swear to God. Fuck that dude. And everything he stands for. Fuck that dude. And everybody associated with him. Fuck that dude. From the bottom of my balls. Fuck that dude. So. Yeah, man, that's a proud to be an American. I'm sorry, I'm just ranting now. <laughs> right? Um, another story that we have here in Proud to be an American has to do with Rand Paul. Rand Paul is uh he's he's trying to get Joe Biden to send uh emergency aid to the uh, the state of Kentucky, which was, you know, it seems like that would be like the, the responsible thing for a senator to do, try to get, you know, emergency aid to the state of Kentucky. You know, they dealt with some uh, some tornadoes that destroyed cities, that destroyed towns, There's a lot of damage that's going on, a lot of people in, in Kentucky that are suffering right now. And so their senator should be out here advocating for them to get some federal aid, right? Yeah, but there's this other thing. Because, uh... Rand Paul, when it came to like this shit happening in other states, was like, nah, they shouldn't get that kind of money, man. What the fuck, y'all? God damn! God damn! God damn! What? Fuck! Fuck! Yeah, man. So we get the story here. This comes out of rawstory.com. It says, during the pandemic, I learned. Wait, 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 wait. What the fuck is this? Oz, who was running as a Republican, threw his hat in the ring this month after Trump endorsed candidate Sean Perk. That's not what I was talking about, man. Come on. What is this? Okay, so let's go to the original. What are y'all talking about, Raw Story? That's not what we were talking. That's not what we were here for. Okay, Senator Rand Paul of Kentucky dashed off a letter to President Joe Biden today pleading for expeditious uh, federal relief aid to victims of a deadly 200-mile tornado 
uh, that struck his state Friday. This is, of course, the right thing to do, but Paul strange one is a strange one to have done it. Throughout his two terms as in the U.S. Senate, Paul has prided himself as a Tea Party fiscal conservative willing to say no to the most milk toast causes if federal spending is involved. Uh, opposed federal disaster relief for if is I'm sorry, opposing federal disaster relief is one of his pastimes. That was of course the right thing to do, but okay, so what the fuck? <laughs> In 2017, Paul was one of just 17 senators to oppose an emergency $15.3 billion federal relief bill for victims of Hurricane Harvey. It erected havoc similar to Friday's tornadoes, but not in Kentucky. In 2013, Paul was one of 31 Republican senators who voted against a $50.5 billion relief package for Hurricane Sandy after previously uh, disaster aid for their home states, as reported by ThinkProgress.org. In 2011, Paul's first year in the Senate, he was among 38 Republicans voting against a major FEMA funding package, despite the fact that not amongst, not lost among uh, publicintegrity.org, that his own state of Kentucky had been the nation's largest recipient of FEMA funding, $293 million, mostly because of a 2009 ice storm. A decade later, Paul wrote to Biden like the two were old liberal spendthrift friends. Last night and early this morning, devastating storms swept across multiple states, including Kentucky. A single tornado from that system may have been on the ground for over 200 miles, and a large swath of the Commonwealth has been severely hit. As the sun comes up this morning, we will begin to understand the true scope of the devastation, but we already know of loss of life and severe property damage. The governor of the Commonwealth has requested federal assistance this morning, and certainly further requests will be coming as the situation is assessed. I fully support those requests and ask that you more expeditiously move to approve the appropriate resources for our state. Now, the thing about this is this, man. When it comes to Republicans, they don't give a fuck about anything until it happens to them. We talked about this when it came to Nancy Reagan. Uh, when it came to stem cell research, Nancy Reagan didn't give a fuck about stem cell research and tried to ban any sorts of uh, stem cell research happening until Ronald Reagan was diagnosed with uh, Alzheimer's and stem cell research presented the most uh, effective way to kind of like treat uh, his Alzheimer's. Um, Republicans, by and large, have <laughs> outside of their own states, they don't want any fucking regulate. They don't. They don't want any relief to be meted out federally. They're fiscal conservatives when it comes to spending money elsewhere. But ironically, a lot of the, your red states, your Kentuckys, your Mississippis, your Alabamas, your Texas, your Louisianas, places like that tend to get the most federal funding, despite the fact that they have, uh, they, they contribute less to the federal coffers. And so it's, it's just weird to have someone like a Rand Paul be the one to be out here advocating for like the expeditious uh, disbursement of funds to Kentucky when he's been out loud and proud against that sort of same uh, uh, um, federal aid being handed out to states where they were also dealing with natural disasters. And um, yeah, he just wasn't, he wasn't a fan of it, but yo man, that's been proud to be an American. I know what time it is. The champ is here. Oh, snap. The champ is here. The champ is here. Let me stop that. I didn't mean for that to. Ooh, snap. 
Didn't mean for that to happen. Jesus, I don't know what the fuck was going on there. But um, yo, man, it's Champ of the Week time here at the Spare Report Podcast, man. And our Champ of the Week this week is none other than, hold on, let me pull this guy's name. His name is Scotty Thomas. Now, the reason why Scotty Thomas is the Champ of the Week this week here at the Spare Report Podcast has to do with the fact that Scotty Thomas accidentally won the lottery twice this week, man. I don't know how you do it, but this motherfucker accidentally won the lottery twice this week. He's from North Carolina, and we're going to read this story. This comes out of CNN.com. It says, a North Carolina man wasn't sure if he had bought a ticket in the state's Lucky for Life lottery drawing, so he filled out an online form. I was laying in bed watching the basketball game on TV, and I couldn't remember if I filled it out or not, says Scotty Thomas, 49, from Fayetteville, according to the North Carolina Education Lottery. I went ahead and filled it out again, and the next morning, my son asked why there were two different amounts listed. I realized I think I filled it out twice. It turned out he had won $25,000 each year for life with each ticket in the November 27 drawing. That prize is the Lucky for Life drawing's second biggest prize behind a $1,000 for life payout, according to the lottery. When I realized I won, I had to lay down on the floor because I really couldn't believe it. Thomas said, it's just a blessing. Thomas, the dump truck operator, opted for the lump sum of $780,000. Oh, my God, Thomas. Ah, man. He he opted for the lump sum of $780,000 for both tickets instead of the annual payments, according to the lottery, saying he wanted to invest in his business, pay off bills, help his family, and perhaps buy a house. Now, I'm going to just say this here right now, man. You know what? Although I'm a little disappointed in the fact that you just went on ahead and took the lump sum, because I feel like that wasn't necessarily the smartest move, man. I I really feel like you should probably let that shit play out. You know what I'm saying? That's just me. You know, that's just me. But here's the thing, though, right? Breaking news, man. Breaking news right now. I just need you to let y'all know. Right yeah. Breaking news right now. So, and I'm sure this is also news to him as well. Um, Scotty Thomas, we cousins. Okay. Uh, I am your long lost cousin, Twan, man. Um, I appreciate the fact that you looking out for family. I appreciate the fact that you want to like, you know, look out for, you know, the rest of us. Now I know y'all are probably thinking, I think the Scotty Thomas dude is white. And I'm going to just let y'all know that your man spam is 20% Irish. Okay. I am 20% Irish and, uh, I am also like 20% white and shit. Right. So I am a cousin. I got people from the Carolinas and shit. My aunt finally lives in Charlotte or whatever else. Right. So I got people's out that way, man. And so I appreciate you, Scotty Thomas, for like wanting to look out for family. So in your efforts to look out for family, I just need you to like kind of hook a nigga up on his, like, uh, his credit card bills, man. I mean, I got like one credit card. I was like kind of out of control. I need you to like, if you could help a nigga with that, you know, that'd be great. Cause. That'd be real great. <laughs> right? But Scotty Thomas, man, because you're my cousin, allegedly, you are the champ of the week this week here at the Spirit Report Podcast. <laughs> real tough. But, uh, yo, man, I've been running my mouth for a little bit over two hours now, man. And I didn't realize I was going to go on this long. But uh, I got to get on about it here. But, of course, before I do, I got to remind you guys how to get in touch with us over here at the Spirit Report Podcast and let your voice be heard. You can go ahead and hit up our hotline 
area code 313-288-0485. That's area code 313-288-0485. Leave us those voicemail messages. Those messages will get played here live on the show and responded to in kind. And if you're watching us here live on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, and Twitch, you can chop it up with your man spine. Spine. Your man spine here live as we do the show at area code 313-288-0485. You can also email us here at feedback at thespareimport.com. That's feedback at thespareimport.com. Go ahead, leave us those emails, and of course, those emails will get right here and reply to here live as well. Uh, follow me on Twitter and Instagram. My name on both of those platforms is Mr. Underscore Span. So go ahead and follow me there. Chop it up with your man Span throughout the week. Also, hit us up on our website at www.thespareimport.com. Go there, watch replays of the show. Uh, vote in the polls when we decide to put those polls up. Donate to the show as often as you like, as much as you like. And, of course, we really appreciate every dime over here at the Spamport Podcast Network. And also, leave us a five-star review on iTunes and or Stitcher Radio. Those five-star reviews are the ones that get read here live on the show. We really appreciate everybody who goes about the business of doing that. Doesn't cost you a dime, just a couple of minutes of your time to let everybody know why you're rocking with us over here at the Spamport Podcast Network, man, real talk. It has been fun. I got to get out of here. It's getting late, y'all. I got to get ready for work tomorrow, man. I might do like another 70 hours again this week. Oh, joy. (laughs) All right. But I will talk to you guys again soon. But until next time, fam.